Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Our new series in Luke called Glorious Disruption, being taught by our senior pastor, Kevin Dibley, is about when Jesus shows up and turns everyone's world upside down. We believe this study of God's word is about to turn many people's lives completely around. It may be even upside down because that's what happens in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus comes to people who are absolutely stunned and amazed by him, and they are profoundly and gloriously changed forever. Let's begin by praying that this happens here at Waterbrook and beyond for our joy and amazement in Jesus. Let's worship together. So we are um, going to take an axe, the axe of the word, and swing away at our unbelief today. And so uh, that's what Jesus, in a sense, is doing with his disciples He's going after their uh, spirit of intimidation that has made them stop believing that Christ, that God, um, could do a work not only around them, but in them. And uh, you and I uh, need to pray just a little prayer over um, the spirit of intimidation that often grips us, right? We often breathe, I was going to say, we often smoke the weed of the world, (laughs) Um, because I feel like that's what goes on with us. We get drugged by the world. We listen to the news. We start to believe there's no hope. We begin to settle into a life of numbness rather than being on mission for God. And Jesus is now about to make a journey towards Jerusalem. And of course, in Luke chapter 9, as he begins that transition, the rest of the Gospel of Luke is like a long Palm Sunday. Jesus making his way towards Jerusalem. And as Jesus begins to make that journey, he focuses in on his disciples because he wants his disciples to hear and experience now something that he will call upon them to remember later. In fact, uh, this text where he tells them to go out, he'll do it in chapter 10 and not take anything with them. He'll ask later on, right before the crucifixion, did you lack anything? You see what he's doing? He's actually placing memories within them, reminders within them, because he knows their propensity is to drift away. To use Bruce's uh, either rowing or drifting, but exhausted, right? Their temptation is to lose heart. They'll all scatter at the end, right? They'll all scatter, and that's helpful for us. It's helpful for all of us because left to ourselves and without the help of the Holy Spirit and the vision of the gospel and these reminders by Jesus, none of us will believe that the kingdom of God is here and will triumph and the nations will come to him. But that's the most truest truth you'll hear today. Jesus Christ is the Lord of salvation. He is. And so that's not up for negotiation. That's not up for question. That's the reality in which we presently live. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to confess. Uh, It's okay to confess. You're safe to confess. Confess your unbelief. Confess in your own heart how you are struggling today over your life, the point of your life. Uh, Confess how you're struggling over people in your life. Uh, Carice, you're headed back to Italy tomorrow. Maybe there's some things that you're, you know that are going to be obstacles. Just bring it to the Lord. But would you, maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a child. 
Maybe there's somebody in your life and you've just sort of lost confidence that God can use you in their lives. Friends, let's just go after that with all our might in the power of the Spirit today and pray that God would do something remarkable in this hour through his people. You agree with that? So take a moment, pray quietly. Bring your unbelief. Jesus died for our unbelief. Bring your fear. Bring your doubts. Maybe I could spin it also. Bring your desires. Those Holy Spirit longings. God might do something beyond what you ask or imagine to his glory in Christ Jesus. So Father, we have opened up the word. Now open up our hearts. We hear the bad news of the world and forget the good news of the gospel. We believe in the pessimism of the culture more than the promise of the kingdom. Forgive us. Help us. Change that today. Wake us. Fill us. Send us. As a church together, this is our prayer. Begin that work in me, O oh God, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. We call the sermon today the tenacious welcome of heaven. And what we are meant to see in this passage of Scripture is Jesus setting his heart towards Jerusalem. If you look at chapter 9, verse 51, that's where it goes. And Jesus set his sights on Jerusalem. That's where he's going. And as he's going there, he's got this motley crew of disciples who are a lot like you and me, and he's saying, you're going with me, and you're going to face this. He'll tell them later in the chapter that if they want to follow him, they've got to be willing to take up their cross and follow him. He's not telling them it's an easy journey, but he is telling them that it's a glorious journey. And that where this is going is ultimately in victory, although there'll be moments where it'll look like the exact opposite. The Palm Sunday cheers will come out to the crucify him, crucify him chants a short time later. And so he is preparing them so that he might anchor them in the reality of who he is so that they might be set free. Some of you are aware over the last little while that the nation of China has begun to increase its stringent regulations against Christianity. Especially uh, just since the beginning of the new year, they put in new regulations that restrict online communication uh, between Christians. Listen to what was, this is a statement from China's State Administration of Religious Affairs. Organizations and individuals must not proselytize online and must not carry out religious education or training, publish preaching, or repost or link to related content. This is official Chinese law. Must not organize the carrying out of religious activities online 
and must not broadcast religious rites, though through means such as text, images, audio, or video, either live or in recordings. That's Chinese law right now being implemented. It was reinforced again this last week where it was stated that in China you cannot use online on any format or platform, you cannot text the word Christ. It's against the law now in China. Why is China doing that? Because they're scared. Right? They are trying to stifle the king. They are trying to bring to an end the advancement of the gospel. Millions, millions of Christian Chinese are there and they're trembling. They might we might fear the global politics, but there is a greater kingdom that is a threat to the kingdoms of men. And this text of scripture that we're studying is an announcement to the kingdoms of this world. There is a king on the throne, and that kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. This is the good news of the gospel. But you and I need to hear it. We need to hear it because we breathe so deeply the culture. We listen too much to the news. We actually bring the stench of the world's pessimism into our theology. My dear friends, the theology of the gospel is a message of hope, triumphant hope. Jesus riding in on the fall of a donkey is a beautiful picture to the people of Ukraine right now. What kind of ruler do you want? And that ruler is an everlasting king, and he will bring down all the kingdoms of this world. All of them will bow at the feet of Jesus. We need to hear that. We need to believe it because the intimidation comes from outside of us. The intimidation, you know, comes from the threats that we hear in the political realm. But the intimidation also comes internally. We look at ourselves in the mirror. We look at the mess we have made. We look at the exhaustion of our lives. We look at how much time has gone by and we start to believe this nagging sense that somehow salvation will not happen as this salvation depends on me. Christ is greater than the kingdom of China and Christ is greater than the kingdom of Kevin. He's greater. And we need to hear that. We need to be reminded not to build our faith around the pluses and minuses of the, the tea leaves we read in the culture and in the times. Listen to Piper on this comment. John Piper says, don't assume any specific historical trajectory of good or evil is fixed and unchangeable. God evidently loves to do his surprising work in hard and unlikely times. Is that good news? God works when we least expect him. We think it's going great, nothing happens. We think it's the worst of times, not the best of times, and suddenly revival breaks out. Why? Because he is king, and he has made a promise to save the nations for himself. That's good news. So here's what we're going to do in this text from uh, in Luke chapter 9, verse 1 to 17. We are going to remind each other what it means that Jesus is Lord. That's the question that's being uh, asked all the way through. The last chapter, who is this that the winds and the waters obey him? Herod will say, I killed John the Baptist. Who is this? Later on, they'll be on the Mount of Transfiguration and God will say, this is my son. 
And you and I need to hear through all of this and in this text today, this is the Lord of salvation, the Lord of hosts. This is who has come. And you and I need to hear it and say it and pray it and believe it today against everything that has come against us. The sovereign Lord of salvation. He has come to save and he will save. Palm Sunday is a great Sunday to remind us of the triumphant power of Christ. Oh yeah, they are a fickle crowd, but he is not a fickle God. They fluctuate back and forth, but he has set his face like a flint, like a stone towards Calvary, and he will have his bride. That's the good news of the gospel. So let's walk through this and take some axe swings at some of the things that you and I struggle with. Here's the first thing. So discipleship is bolstering ourselves in the advancement of the gospel, in the unswerving commitment, the tenacious reality, the zeal of the Lord will do this, will accomplish this. That's where we get our strength. So here's the first thing I want us to see if we're going to not be intimidated by what's around us and what's in us. We need missional clarity. So in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 6, Jesus sends out his disciples into the surrounding villages. He sends them out. And he gives them kind of unique um, commands or directions. They're, They're to pack lightly. I love packing lightly. Marianne and I experiment every once in a while by just not taking a lot of luggage when we travel. Let's just try this lightly. Most of the time it works. (laughs) Most of the time, you know, God, he says, but he's not telling them to pack lightly on their trip because, you know, it'll be easier for them. Jesus intends them to go into the villages, into the cities, around Jerusalem. They're going out to their own people. And they are to do a rapid trip so that they might see and they might understand that it does not depend on him but God. On them but God in this mission. They are going to depend on God. They're going to look to God. So missional clarity for us is this. You and I need to understand our mission is to deliver a clear royal proclamation. Our calling is proclamation, not conversion. Got it? It is the Lord's power to change hearts. And so as he goes out to tell them, he says, your duty when you go out here is to make a proclamation of a royal proclamation of the gospel. So look at this text in Luke chapter 9. It says, verse 1, he called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whenever, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere." So, so what was the nature of their commands? Number one, they were to, this is backwards. Oh, sorry, there you go. I switched the first two. They are to display the power of the kingdom. So as they go out in the name of Jesus Christ into the communities, they're to do what? They are to cast out demons and they are to heal diseases. What are they doing? They are making an announcement to the cosmic world there's a new kingdom. They are to make a 
a revelation to the created cursed realm, a new day is dawned. A new creation has come. A new Israel is being established. A new Eden has come. You understand what's going on here? The curse is being removed. Satan is being crushed. That's what they're doing out. They are to go and display that. And while they display it, they're called to declare the arrival, to herald the arrival of the kingdom. That word herald, caruso in the Greek, is an important word. Because it's a word that was actually used when a king would enter a city or a prince or a royal figure. They would blast the trumpets. Can you hear the trumpet in your head? I could pretend it, you know. They would, and then they would announce, prepare for the king. And what was the responsibility of the people? The people were to respond to the king. They were to come out. Listen to one commentator's description of what this is. The original meaning of the root word karuks was a herald at the royal court. Homer used the word in this connection. They not only announced the coming of the prince, but they carried his commands to the uttermost in the realm. As the government of Greece became more republican, these heralds came to serve the state rather than the court. Certain qualities were required of heralds. They must have powerful voices, so auditions were often held. They had to be capable of calming down an unruly mob in order to faithfully communicate the command. An honest disposition was also required as a protection against the exaggeration or distortion of a royal decree. They could make no additions or no subtractions from the received message. Later, these heralds were also to declare the message of a Greek deity or religious oracle. So the disciples were to go out like heralds and announce the kingdom of God. Friends, that's what we're called to do. We're called to announce that in Jesus Christ, the king has come and the kingdom of heaven has come. We're called to announce it, to declare it, to herald it, but we can't make people receive it. Now, we are to expect a reception of it, right? We're to expect it because he's worthy. And so we go out and we announce Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the message of the gospel. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Our God reigns. That's what we're called. We declare it. We are to expect they were to go from town to town, stay a short period of time. In the Jewish culture, it was expected that if visitors came, you would show hospitality and invite them in. Jesus never got that right from his birth. And he wouldn't be welcomed very soon in Jerusalem as we are celebrating Easter week. But Jesus was sending his disciples out. Common courtesy was, if they didn't even give you common courtesy, what were they to do? They were to shake the dust off their feet. In a sense, they had done their duty. And they were able to move on. And now that city or that village or that people were accountable to God himself. They had to answer to God. And so you and I need to hear that that's what the call of God is. The call of God on us, the call of God on me as a Christian is to declare, the, announce the, the coming of the King, the authority of Jesus. He has died for our sins, risen from the dead. He is now seated at the right hand, reigning forever. So I love this. 
Um, I, I get to do different things as a pastor here. One of the things I do is I, I write for the Victoria Gazette. And so Victoria has a newspaper, and I get to write a once-a-month article in the local newspaper. And as I write for the Victoria Gazette, I have this very clear thought in my head. I have one responsibility before God, and that's to lift Jesus Christ up high. That's my goal. I don't have to defend him. I just got to let the lion go, right? Lift them up. I just have to show Jesus Christ. I love doing that. That's a clear. They give me the opportunity. Thank God. Sue, who's the editor, gives me the opportunity to write an article every month where my singular goal is to clearly, I will lift him up and he will draw all people unto himself. Listen to Tozer on this. He makes some pretty strong statements, but it's helpful. He said, in America... And maybe in other places, so many people are saying, try Jesus, try God. That's not what we're called to do. I mean, you can do that and have that conversation, but listen to what he says. Trifler, he's pretty strong, right? Triflers, experimenters, tasters they are, like a rabbit with a half dozen holes. So if one stopped up, he can flee to another, right? So if Jesus, try Jesus for a bit. If he doesn't work, maybe there's another hole you can run to. No, no, he says. From the cross, there is no other place to flee. You don't try Jesus. He's not there to be experimented with. Christ is not on trial. You are. I am. He's not. God raised him from the dead and forever confirmed his deity and sealed him and set him at his own right hand as Lord in Christ. Turn everything over to him and you'll find your life begin to lift. You'll blossom in a wonderful way. That's what we announce. He's Lord. He's reigned. He died. He rose. He has been exalted to the right hand. Hail King Jesus. That's the call of the gospel. We don't have to make people bow. They'll answer for whether or not they do. But we do have to lift him up. Sing. Share and announce Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? The gospel is a a heralding that the long-awaited king and kingdom is here and calling people to receive him and rejoice. We need to get over intimidation, not only by the response. So if if you've been worried about how people react against you, don't worry about it. That's not your job. Your job is to lift Jesus up and then let the Holy Spirit do the hard work. Do the heavy lifting. The second thing, we need not only to have uh, missional clarity of what we're called, we need gospel fidelity. Our mission is to give the powers of the world a subtle but (laughs) clear notice of eviction. (laughs) We need to give a clear notice of eviction. Notice what happens in this text of Scripture. Word gets out as the gospel spreads in the villages to to the king, to Herod, uh, the Tetrarch, who has already executed John the Baptist. And Herod, the Tetrarch, hears that these miracles are happening, and suddenly he begins to get a little anxious, a little curious, a little concerned. Listen to what it says in verses 7 to uh, 9. It says, And Herod, the uh, Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. And Herod said, well, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. 
he sought to see him. A greater king is here instead of Herod. Greater king has come. And so what is, what is it? Jesus doesn't respond. He just lets Herod hang out there. Later on, at the end of this, he will get called in front of Herod. And we're told later in Luke's gospel that when Jesus is brought to Herod and Herod begins to investigate him, Jesus doesn't answer him. Because Jesus is showing by his presence, by his ministry, by his power, that Herod's days are numbered. That there is a greater king and a greater kingdom. So Herod, it says later on in this gospel, makes a deal. And on that day, when he hands Jesus back to Pilate, they became friends for the very first time. You see, the partnerships of the kingdoms of this earth are coming together. The kingdom of China is coming. The, the dynasties of China are coming together to try, try to stop the reign of King Jesus. And you know what the people of China are meant to do? You keep following Jesus because your presence is an announcement to those kingdoms. Their days are over. They're done, right? That's what we're called to do. So they go, you have this text, Herod is trembling, Jesus is not responding. Jesus isn't trying to politic. He's not going to send an emissary and say, maybe we can convince Herod to come along. No, they're moving on with the kingdom because that kingdom is not an everlasting kingdom. The kingdoms of this earth will shake, be broken, will be shaken. But our perseverance and our presence is an announcement to that kingdom and those kingdoms that this kingdom to which we belong is the everlasting kingdom. Is this John the Baptist? No, it's someone greater. Is this Elijah? No. Remember what Elijah did in 1 Kings 17 and 18? He has, the, he has the battle with the prophets of Baal, and he wins the victory. And calls fire down from heaven and consumes the offering and the altar. And then they kill all the prophets of Baal. And he goes, this is it, we've done it. And he's expecting political conversion. All of a sudden, Jezebel and King Ahab decide that they're going to go after him. And Jezebel says, you know, if this day goes by and it doesn't happen to him, may it happen to me. She is seething against him. What does he do? He runs off. He goes in hiding. I thought that the world would embrace it. I thought King Ahab would be converted. I thought they could see it now. And he runs off in hiding. Let me tell you this. This king is no Elijah. He is not running off and hiding anywhere. He is setting his face like a flint to Jerusalem, and he is going to kill death itself through his death. He is going to destroy the dynasty of sin, Satan, and death. The curse is going down. He's going to take down all the kings by being raised up from the dead and seated at the right hand of God. That's what he's come to do. And so I need to say this to you. One of the things that you need to do in this is to know that your calling sometimes is simply to stand firm. That's gospel fidelity, faithfulness. You ever read Ephesians 6? In the battle for spiritual warfare? In the enemy with all his schemes? You are to put on the full armor of God. And having done that, what are you to do? Stand Firm, the church standing firm in the craziness of the world and the craziness of the times. The church standing firm is a declaration to the world around your kingdom is ending because there is a greater kingdom. And so that's, that's helpful to us. 
We need to not be intimidated. We need to stop breathing the air of the culture. We need to remind ourselves that the greatest fear that China has is that its people don't bow. You, you ever read the book of Revelation? The book of Revelation is written by John on the Isle of Patmos. Why is John on the Isle of Patmos? Because he would not bow the knee to Caesar. And it's interesting, when you read Revelation 4 and Revelation 5, there's this declaration in the heavenly places before the Lamb who is in the middle of the throne. And the declaration is, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor and majesty and dominion and power. For he was slain, and you hear that. Do you know that language that is used there is the language that was supposed to be used for Caesar? There is no other king but Jesus. And my dear friends, one of the ways we advance the kingdom of God is we refuse to bow before, in fear before the kingdoms of men. There is a king, and our presence and the growth of his kingdom is a marker to you that your days are numbered. The church is an eviction notice to the kingdoms of the world. Your faith is an eviction notice to the kingdoms of this world. Your kingdom is time limited. Your threats will soon pass. And some of you are working and teaching and doing your jobs in difficult and hard places. Stand firm. Stand firm because you are by standing firm a living representative of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's the kingdom, Hebrews says. That's the kingdom we've come to. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. But here's the other thing that we need to see in this text. One of the things that in, can intimidate us when we look at the world is we think there's so much to be done and there's so much to be required and I feel so inadequate for it all. And you know, <laughs> I mean, we just have a crazy life and Marianne has to write curriculum that's to go to 55 countries. Who is sufficient for these things, right? You can, you can start to think in your head, how is it possible? And the answer to us is not to look at ourselves and look at our weariness and look at our weakness. Here's the beauty of Jesus. He can use your brokenness. He can use your weariness. He can use your weakness because he never, because he was broken, he never grows weary. Because he was crucified, he has now got all power and authority, and so we have this story where Jesus is putting firmly, not only in them going out, he'll ask them later, when I sent you out without a purse, when I sent you out without two tunics, when I sent you out with, uh, without a suitcase, and you were, when I sent you out without a sword, did you lack anything? And the last thing we see in this text is he's calling us to have what I've called compassionate creativity compassionate creativity because Jesus comes along and it says that when they came they went to Bethsaida and they thought they'd have a little retreat <laughs> and the crowds heard and how many came 5,000 men and their families and as they came and the day went on the disciples began to get hangry right they were hungry they wanted to, and they're looking at the resources. And what was Jesus doing? Jesus was doing this obnoxious thing. He was welcoming people. He was welcoming them, it says in the text. He was saying, come on. And it's like, you know, your spouse invites somebody over and the house isn't clean and there's no food in the fridge. You're going, what are you thinking? Right? 
How can you put me in this situation? We find ourselves in those awkward moments where we look at the fuel tank, we look at our lives, we look where we've been, and we think somehow we lack the resources. Jesus calls his disciples and they say, which we would feel experientially, send them off into the villages in order that they might find a place to rest and get refreshment or food. And Jesus looks at them and says, you feed them. And they're going, um, we got one lunchbox. <laughs> and they open it up. And, then, and here, here's Jesus' marvelous sovereign creativity. He says, well, since we only have five loaves and a few fish, let's break the group up into groups of 50. <laughs> like, okay, right, that'll work. That's a good idea. And then what does he do? He begins to break bread. He begins to take the fish. He begins to offer this feast out, and they start handing it out. And what happens? The resources of Christ never run dry. They never run dry. They go out. In fact, it says that as he handed them out and they gave it out, at the end of it, how much was left over? Twelve baskets. That number 12 is pretty significant here, isn't it? In the previous chapter, there was a girl that was 12 years old. There was a woman who suffered medically for 12 years. There were 12 apostles being sent out. There are 12 baskets left over. Does 12 mean anything in the Old Testament amongst the Jewish people? There are 12 tribes in Israel. There is now a new Israel with a new king. There are 12 apostles who will sit and reign on the throne with Jesus forever and ever. This is a new day. This motley crew of Galilean fishermen are going to find themselves that in Jesus, in his resurrection power, and with the Holy Spirit that's given to them in the book of Acts, they will not only be able to feed this 5,000, the first sermon will bring 3,000 in. And it will go to the ends of the earth. What's being said here in this text of Scripture to us? Waterbrook, we only have five loaves and a few fish, right? But we have the Lord of heaven and salvation. Right? His intent is to save the nations. He's going to use Waterbrook to save the nations. That's his purpose. I'm not making things up. I'm not reading tea leaves. I'm not having a vivid imagination. It's the word of the Lord. It's the intent of God. He is going to save the nations for himself. And the question for us in this little church building we're wrestling with, however it looks, whatever the building looks like, whatever all of that is, we have no option. We have no option. I have people every week, every week, I have people reaching out. I was texting last night with someone who wants to come, who's watching online. Every week, people are reaching out in their brokenness. Every, one, every week, somebody is saying, I need the Lord. And my dear friends, it's not us. It's not our power. It's not our conversion abilities, right? It is the King of kings who will have a people. Every person for whom his blood was shed will be drawn into the kingdom of God by his grace. He is worthy. And so what you and I need to be doing here is praying, God, how? Can I be available? And, and let's not look at what we have. It, it, may be, it may be really simply 
seeing a young mom come in with her little children and thinking, that woman needs to hear about Jesus. I need to go down to the nursery, right? It can be that simple. It could be inviting someone to a small group. It might be starting a small group. I'm just telling you, my dear friends, we cannot contain the kingdom of God. We cannot contain the kingdom of God, and we cannot wait till our lives are dead and gone, sitting passively by as if God can't use us, if he could use Peter, if he could use James. The the doofuses later on are going to, in this chapter, are going to be arguing who's greater in the kingdom of God. Who's greater in the kingdom of God? Gee. Let me tell you this. There's nobody great in Waterbrook except Jesus Christ. But he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all we ask or imagine through Jesus Christ and through the church to the glory and praise of his name. Sister, you go back to Italy and realize he's already ahead of you. He's chosen you. He has a people to save. He's going to use that music that the, our, our worship team are partnering with your people with. He's going to use that, if that's the will of God, to advance the kingdom of God. My dear friends, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what we're going to do. But I know what he's going to do. And let's just start praying that he would do far more than we've ever asked or imagined. Is he worthy? Let's, let's ask him, take away all the limitations that I have put up. It's not just the culture and its problems. It's not just the bad news. It's not just the kings of this earth. It's Kevin Dibley has a whole lot of issues, but Christ is willing to work with me and through me. And he'll do that with you too, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Don't you want to be in on that? Just so you know, you're already in. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.